Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, Cheryl Goldstein. Over to you, Cheryl. Hi, today is June 30th. I'm Cheryl Goldstein, EVP Member Engagement and Development here at the IAB. Welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. Our topic for today's show is all about successful selling strategies and who better than a seasoned sales net vet like Peter Naylor, VP of sales at Snap to have this conversation. Peter is responsible for driving the growth of Snap's advertising business across the US, Canada and Mexico. Previously, Peter held senior sales positions at several major media companies including Hulu and NBC Universal. Let's bring Peter Naylor onto the screen. Right. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. Hi, Cheryl. How are you? Good. Where are you uh, quarantined these days? I'm in the Garden State. I'm in Summit, New Jersey. How about you? Oh, I'm in Montclair, New Jersey. Right down the street. Love the Garden State. Yes. Uh, so, Peter, welcome to IAB There. I thought we would start with a little bit about why Snap. You've only been there. Is it, have you been there a month already? Maybe two months? It's a couple. It's a couple months now. Couple months. Okay. Well, last week at the New Fronts, which, by the way, Snap's presentation was excellent. You talked a little bit about why Snap, why now, and you said it was a no-brainer. So, for those people who didn't see that presentation, could you tell us why Snap, why now? Well, I did say it's a no-brainer, and I always start with the audience. You know, the audience has been growing handsomely for quite a while now. And what's so compelling about it is multifold. First of all, uh, we reach 90% of people aged 13 to 24 in this country. It's pretty wow. astonishing. And if you expand that age cell and look at 13 to 34, it's 70%. So um, you've just got a huge generation of people. And when I say huge, you know, Gen Z is the largest generation period, end of sentence, bigger than millennials, boomers, you name it. Um, and, and that's impressive. What's really great about them, you know, so much has been, um, uh, has been talked about the mobile opportunity. And uh, when you look at the Snapchatters, they're opening the app more than 20 times a day. And wow. they're spending so much time in the app uh, communicating with friends. And so that's really meaningful. The thing that is really interesting from a creative point of view is our augmented reality opportunities. Mm. So we have 229 million people coming to the service every single day across the globe. And out of those 229, Great. 170 million people on average every single day are either playing with or being exposed to augmented reality experiences. And I think that's really compelling when you think about a world where people are just counting impressions, augmented reality. Right really gives people, a, a marketers in particular, a chance to supercharge those impressions with really creative uh, executions. Just yesterday, we uh, enjoyed some press about shoppable AR. And right. shoppable, shoppable AR, the, uh, the example was you can virtually try in a pair of Gucci shoes. So, um, you know, I think, I think Unlimited potential with that, right? Exactly right. So for all those reasons, I felt like it was a no-brainer to uh, to come to this company and bring this offering to market. Yeah, because 
it seems like maybe Snap had a slower start in the ad space, but last year it's kind of taken off. Is well, that Snap you've created better ad products or advertisers are just getting more comfortable with the platform? Well, I think what do it's you think? a combination of things. You know, we've always put the, uh, the product and, um, and building a product first before we get advertisers involved with it. Uh, I think it's a cautionary tale when you marry uh, advertisers with beta products. So we'd rather go a little bit slow than fast when it comes to the commercialization of the product. Um, the company's nine years old, for example, but the advertising executions are about five years old. Uh, mm -hmm. I think our scale has had a lot to do with it. You know, um, when people are getting introduced to a creative opportunity like augmented reality, the question is, you know, uh, is the juice worth the squeeze uh, creatively, right? And and I think it absolutely is now considering our scale. Um, and the other thing that's worth mentioning, of course, is I've talked about the creative opportunity, which is very much about uh, brand building, top of the funnel stuff, as well as our, um, our video assets, which are top of the funnel. But we've become very, very proficient in terms of direct response, products and services, measurement, attribution. Uh, so it's a big book of business for us and a very attractive outlet for advertisers who are in that direct-to-consumer right. space. Um, so as those things have gotten more sophisticated, uh, our, our advertiser base has expanded pretty handsomely. I, I actually think Snap is growing outside of just Gen Z. Like I, I admit, I have a lot of fun playing around with it. I would, you know, right now I would normally put on my potato face and have a conversation with you because it's, it's just fun. It's a little addicting even well, playing around uh, with all the filters. You're young at heart, Cheryl. And <laughs> um, it's fun because True. Even if you're not um, playing with all that stuff and snapping uh, with your friends. You can always go into our discover platform. Just the discover right. platform is our content platform mm -hmm. where we've got content from the best media and content companies in the world. We have partnerships with 350 media partners across the globe, including brands that marketers know and trust and readers love uh, from NBCU, Viacom, CBS, you know, the sports uh, partnerships with the NBA, the NFL, news from Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, uh, the Meredith titles, People Magazine. It all is very accessible uh, and- And curated. It's a curated, uh, you decide what partners are in that space, correct? Putting words in my mouth, Cheryl. That's <laughs> Sorry. Great. So I did watch your new friends presentation. So thank you. No, it's so yeah, that's the uh, that's the thing that's really special about it, too, is that we do curate that content destination that we call discover. And um, as a result, you know, we have a very brand safe environment uh, within all those content destinations. And the ad model there is full screen video, unskippable full screen video. So anybody who's you know, considering uh, a video uh, as part of their media plan, uh, I think we are a very attractive alternative to a group of, of viewers who are extraordinarily hard to reach through traditional means right. and one that uh, can add a lot of value. When you look at your base of video uh, that has tr traditionally anchored media plans and look, how do you expand that? We're a wonderful alternative meeting all the criteria like viewability, um, time spent and, um, you know, very, very light ad clutter. So mm -hmm. it's good. What I like is that you're exposing these Gen Zs to really high quality 
more traditional news outlets. You know, wow. So that's always been a challenge for you know the Wall Street Journals and the New York Times and uh, to reach that and connect to that audience. So if this is where they're getting news, I, I feel very hopeful. Yeah, we introduced a, um, an area on the app called Happening Now. So it really does uh, offer young viewers who might not be reading a newspaper every day or even watching TV every day. <laughs> they don't even know what a newspaper is, I'm sure. Yeah, right. So uh, I think the reason those content companies are so eager to work with us is because they realize this is a way yeah. to have their brand reach a new uh, audience of consumers because, you know, these these young people are not just going to magically wake up and start adopting their parents' media behaviors. So yeah. the brands that are here know that they should repurpose, reformat their content in a way that's mobile friendly and friendly to uh, our kind of a viewer. And they're, um, it, it's not an exaggeration to say that the phone is their constant companion. And, you know, in real estate, they say that um, real estate's all that one thing, location, location, location. Right. And if anything, the most important real estate with this device is, um, you know, what's on your home screen. And again, when people are opening it 20, 30 times a day, you know, we're important to them. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. Um, so what kind of insights are you able to get about this audience? Everyone wants to know about Gen Z. In fact, we're doing a program on July 23rd and SNAP will be part of the agenda. Um, just who is this audience? What You know a lot about them. What are some things that you're able to help our marketers understand? Well, I think um, it's always important for marketers to pay attention to consumers as they come into their own because this, of course, is the time when they're forming brand alliances and purchase behaviors that'll probably last a lifetime. So that's that, uh, that law of media has not been repealed. What makes this generation particularly interesting, I think, is that it's an incredibly diverse generation. Um, they're incredibly tolerant. And, um, you know, this group, I think we're all being impacted by all of the events of 2020. And this group in particular, I think it's going to absolutely shape their views uh, for uh, the rest of their lives, whether it's uh, what's happened because of COVID or more interestingly, because of what's going on with Black Lives Matter and social injustice and the protests, you know, this is um, their opportunity to lead and make it clear that, uh, you know, their voice can, will be heard and they can shape, shape the world. They've got the power to shape the world because they're strong in number, they're loud in voice uh, and they've grown up um, not only digital, but they've grown up mobile um, in a platform like ours where the camera is how they communicate. You know, these guys, this audience is really communicating in an amazing way. When it comes to yeah. marketing, you know, it's been said that um, COVID and the pandemic in particular has accelerated things that were already underway. And yeah. this is an audience that is completely comfortable with e-commerce, uh, I think eMarketer predicted that e-commerce is expected to accelerate by 18% this year. At wow. the same point in time, uh, brick and mortar revenues are expected to decline 10% this year. Now granted, right. brick and mortar is still bigger than e-commerce, but those, those divergent uh, numbers really tell a story. The right. people who are comfortable with e-commerce are only gonna get more comfortable and that is Gen Z. Absolutely. Yeah. They're teaching their parents, that's for sure. Oh yeah, it's um, <laughs> all over the place. 
100 percent uh so i want to talk a little bit you've had an amazing career as a sales leader um how is selling in the media space changed you don't have to go all the way back but maybe the last five or six years you've sold tv you've sold digital you were early on into the digital space now it's social platforms and streaming and what does that mean from a sales person's perspective sales well, leader i think that um the most successful sellers are bilingual and when i say that i mean you've got to be able to speak the language of creativity and you've got to be able to speak the language of data and measurement um, I mean, when I did start out, it very much was extraordinarily much about uh, relationships and uh, what they used to call mani-pedi selling, you know, yeah. uh, or- I, I was an expert at that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Spa um, days, mani-pedi, absolutely. And, and I think that um, relationships obviously still matter. I mean, at a point in time when you're not able to meet people face-to-face, if you spent your lifetime building relationships, they're, they're more valuable now than ever when you can't go see uh, your friends that you're mm -hmm. selling to. Um, and then equally, the role of programmatic, the rise of data, the measurement attribution uh, that is required in a world that is really led by programmatic, I'm sorry, um, by, by the bean counters and the um, procurement people, you know, right. I think the CMO and the CFO have a pretty equal voice in some of these things. So again, the, the ideal seller can, can speak both languages. And I think that's the biggest change that's I've seen during my career. Yeah, I think you're right. A different level of accountability and very results oriented. And, you know, it used to be, oh, I can, you know, let you in on this buy. We're friends. I kind of owe you today. You have to justify every penny and it has to have an ROI. And um, and a seller needs to be conversant in all those things and understand what the marketer's issues are and what their objectives are and be able to provide a great solution because there are a lot of choices out there. That's exactly right. Yeah. And especially in 2020, um, you know, tomorrow's the first day of the second half of 2020. We're almost halfway done. But in, especially in 2020, you know, market, um, marketing budgets have contracted, obviously. And, uh, and again, you've got to earn your way onto that media plan. Um, innovation budgets, experimental budgets have been eliminated. And there's been a flight to comfort, a flight to safety, a flight to proven, uh, proven media properties. So all of that matters, that measurability, yeah. that, that accountability. Um, you know, your marketers are looking for media plans that don't have a lot of risk. Yeah. Now you've worked for a couple of big names, Hulu, NBC Universal, uh, coming out of the video streaming landscape. You know, you hear about the streaming wars and death of linear and behavior patterns have changed so much. And why do we even have scheduled TV shows anymore? Any thoughts on, on that, the streaming wars or, or people going to only allow like a certain number of subscriptions and I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think Hulu. video is uh, more important in viewers' lives than ever. It just is yeah. that video, the, the shape of video continues to change and evolve. Um, the role of these live linear channels is being questioned when they're not really live. It's just programmed. 
Right, so right. when consumers get extraordinarily comfortable with watching everything on demand on whatever screen they want at whatever time they want, it's really, really hard to say, hey, tune in Thursday night at eight o'clock to watch your favorite show when your favorite like show is why? 24 seven. I think there's always going to be a place for live news and live sports. So right. we'll probably be um, where things continue to evolve in a conventional um cable and broadcast model. And then the rise of the streaming platforms is uh, astonishing, undeniable. Um, it's also a little bit crowded. The question I hear a lot is how many subscriptions will people uh, buy? The tolerance. Yeah. I think the answer isn't how many will they buy because there's so much packaging going on. You know, the new bundle looks like if you get Verizon, you get Netflix. If you get T-Mobile, you get, uh, I've lost track, I don't know, Quibi. Disney Plus um, or whatever, right? Yeah, right. If you get AT&T, AT &T, you're going to have um, uh, HBO Max. So I think a lot of people have access. Uh, even if, um, if you buy a new uh, Apple device, you're automatically getting Apple TV Plus. So I think a lot of people will enjoy the opportunity to have access to all these streaming services just because of the bundling that's going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the question is, what are the incremental subscriptions might they opt into on purpose? Um, right. And those, those better be um, extraordinary if you're going to pay money for them. Um, and, you know, to combat that, concern about subscription fatigue. You've got the, the sharp rise of all the, uh, the free services like Tubi, uh, Peacock, um, Crackle and others that uh, yep. enjoyed a nice spotlight last week at, at, the, uh, at the new fronts. So it's a crowded space. Viewers will vote with their uh, remote controls. Um, content will still really be a big differentiator um, and accessibility and partnerships will, you know, We'll, we'll set the table, but then viewers will vote with their, with their remote controls. Always comes back to the viewer. And right. And when it that, comes that, to, does, that doesn't change. So those are the, um, those are the streaming platforms. And then of course, there's platforms where uh, we're talking about mobile viewing, viewing on the go, user-generated content. I mean, it's Snap, uh, again, with our Discover platform, you've got all these brands creating all of this content uh, vertical video, short form video being consumed in, in massive numbers that are really attractive and can turn marketers heads um, at the risk of repeating what I said last week. You know, 60 of our programs have uh, over 10 million viewers every single month and 45 of them have 15 million viewers every single month. So there's many, many places we can get large commercially supported audiences mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and that's something that is very, very attractive to marketers at a point in time when traditional media just seems to be having its feet taken out from under it. And uh, yeah. that really has a nice offering. Yeah, I think you're right that things just got accelerated. Um, things that were already moving in this direction now that we're all like stuck at home, it's what next can I watch? There's only so much on straight linear. You, you kind of have to go to these other platforms just to see what's there um and i'm 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 actually starting to work my way through like most of the ones that i wanted to watch and uh, so what's next um a little bit about the upfronts you know we talked a little bit about this last week with we had the new fronts 
I think by all measures, it was a fairly successful event. We had thousands of people tuning in. Uh, it was all done obviously um, virtual for the first time. And I think it did everything it was supposed to do, introduce buyers to new platforms. You mentioned a couple. Is there a place for the upfronts? Is that still a viable way of doing business or does it all should all just be a content play since everything's going digital anyway? Should it just be a digital video see what people have to offer new content? It's an interesting question and I could answer in a number of ways. I think you have to separate the upfront and new front presentations from the upfront marketplace. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, the democratization of the new fronts and the upfronts by everybody going virtual is pretty interesting. In other words, you know, someone would have Radio City Music Hall, someone would have Lincoln Center. Right you'd have all these venues and it's like, well, their venue's cooler than ours and maybe our breakfast burrito will be better than theirs and our, or our band will be cooler than theirs. But like all of a sudden it's like, no, you've got this rectangular window in which you are going to tell your story and then creativity and storytelling really comes back, rushing back in. Yeah. And uh, your sizzle reel, is it gonna be better than their sizzle reel or are you gonna really use creativity to tell a different story? or are you really gonna put your stake in the ground around something that matters? You know, uh, a lot of people were focusing in on Black Lives Matter, other people were focusing in on their original content, other people were, were focusing in on um, the size and scale of their audience and their data differentiators. And I think that is really a compelling um, challenge for every brand who's trying to present in an upfront or new front fashion to tell their story in a compelling, crisp fashion. And then there's the upfront marketplace. I think there's yeah. always going to be room for preferred partnerships. Um, there's always going to be scarcity in some shape, form, fashion, or another when you're talking about broadcast cable platforms like ours, when you know there's only one Black Friday, there's only 52 Fridays uh, in the year where you can open a film. There's only one Mother's Day. I mean, there's there's only one season of um, New Year, New You at the turn of the year. Like there mm. is always some kind of scarcity where a preferred partnership will be rewarded and people will do that. Whether it's going to be the same upfront of the past, I, I really uh, am beginning to doubt it when you consider that Pablo Adis and uh, everybody at the ANAs uh, came forward and said, we'd like we'd like to shift. We'd like to shift yep. to calendar years. We'd like to reassess everything we've been doing just because it's our muscle memory. And this, um, the pandemic has been the force function to break some old habits. With that said, I think, you know, there's a lot of publishers chasing a lot of dollars. And if people want to participate in a calendar upfront or broadcast upfront, the market, the market will dictate what happens. I, I don't think we're going to go back to the way it was fully. You know, we're believing at the IAB that there's going to be some kind of live and virtual component, probably to everything we do moving forward. And just the convenience of it and the, the scalability of it. And you're right, the leveling of the playing field uh, really did force the presenters to tell a good story and present themselves um, in a compelling way without all the bells and whistles and the distractions and the celebrity. Um, it really had to be about the content. Well, I think it was efficient too. You know, uh, I think the opportunity to reach thousands and thousands of people became better when you weren't constrained by uh, an auditorium. 
And then the other yep. thing about the new fronts, I mean, I, I, I've heard people over the years saying, you know, the new front presenters aren't really enjoying an upfront marketplace. I find that that's, um, that's not necessarily true as well. You know, at Snap, we've got dozens and dozens of preferred partnerships. You can call them a, a, a annual agreement, a preferred partnership agreement, an upfront, you can call it whatever you want, but there's still an opportunity to bring your products and services to market. Mm -hmm. uh, and figure out who uh, is the right fit. And there's only so many, there's only so much of everything and those right. partnerships matter. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, I know when I was at Yahoo and AOL, we did a lot of upfront deals, you know, absolutely bigger partnerships, gave them preferred positions, research studies, things like that got packaged in to larger deals. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about you as a sales leader, because that is, a little bit in the focus of the topic here. How do you lead a team? First of all, how did you get onboarded virtually? You started, you know, when the whole pandemic was already hit and everyone was working from home. So what was that like? How are you managing your team? How are they pitching business? How is this different from say what you would have done if you were able to walk into an office and say hello to your team and do business as usual? And it was well, like three questions in one, but no, it's 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 not business as usual. It's actually quite unusual to onboard right. uh, this way. Um, I mean, in a perfect world, uh, my learning curve would have um, been accelerated, but it's just a fact of life. So, I think the most important thing is that the company's been extraordinarily welcoming, and I, I get a sense of belonging right out of the bat. So there's uh, that's been really really helpful. When I think about leading the people, you know, there's a long list of people. There's such deep bench strength here, and there's a long list of managers who are really, really good at what they do. So by and large, I am trying to be in absorption mode and let them continue to run uh, and to lead. I mean, we're all being faced with so many different things, managing working from home, um, managing through the starts and stops that we've seen in our campaigns through the civil, um, the you know the the uh, the social unrest, um, uh, even facing into the discussions around what's going on with stop pay for profit. These are all things that no one's really seen. So that's when, whether you're virtual or in low in um, in real life together, you know that's when judgment comes into play, and that's where you can add value. I mean, the biggest thing is. Um, when you're starting virtually is you just have to be really comfortable not knowing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You be I think really that's true for all of us. We're all exactly. in unusual gotta, territory. Right. And you've got to be comfortable asking for help. Um, I mean, <laughs> the funniest thing is, you know, you start a new job and you hope that they need help and you hope that you're as smart as they hope that they want you to be. And then you arrive and it's like, wow, they're pretty good. And maybe, you know, I, they're hoping that I'm as smart as they hope I am. You, you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. But what I've really realized over the last handful of weeks is that the best thing you can do is bring the best version of yourself and not trying to mirror what someone else is doing because everyone's got their strengths and that's when yeah. um, the team is everything. So, you know, I keep saying that to my to myself and to others, like just, just be the best version of yourself and ask for help where you need it. And uh, yeah their jobs yeah and i think that you know the people are going through a lot i mean some people are in not great 
at-home work situations. I know some of our staff, they're sitting on the edge of the bed with the laptop on their lap all day. You know, a lot of the younger staff, especially that have two or three roommates in a New York City apartment. And some people have lost family members to the COVID, um, you know, disease and, you know, and also just all the racial stuff that's happening. It's been a very emotional time for everybody. And I think as leaders, we have to meet people where they are and try and provide a level of stability and encouragement. Yeah, I so think we, that's exactly yeah. right. I mean, getting back, when this all started um, with COVID, it, I, like every message was, are you okay? Checking yeah. on people. And I almost feel like we've gone away from that a little bit, but people are still at home. So we should keep yeah. taking care of one, uh, one another while we take care of business. I yeah. think that's really important. And then the other thing is like, you got to do whatever you can to set yourself up with a good work environment at home. You can see yeah. I spent uh, uh, an outsized amount of money to get a, a, a printer that would probably serve a hundred person office, but you know, I like my printer. So, uh, you know, you got to set yourself up with a good work environment so you can be productive yeah. because that's I agree. Kind of what's expected and um, everyone's working really, really hard. So I empathize because yeah, whether you're home with little kids, elderly parents, empty nester, uh, roommates, living alone, every scenario has its own challenges and we, we yeah. can't lose sight of that. And the other thing that's really, really interesting is things like, you know, we've got employee research group, uh, uh, I'm sorry, resource groups yeah. resource groups yeah. we've got diversity inclusion groups and that activity is is really um gone up dramatically but that's the other thing about being virtual that's been really hard like i wish i could show up at their events um in the mm. real world so just yesterday we were talking with a group of people it's like let's not wait to get back together. Like let's do virtual events. Cause I wanna, I wanna participate in that too. Any way we can support each other um, around what's going on in the world I think is important. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, so we have to wrap, but you know, I like to wrap with um, what I call words of wisdoms, little wows, okay? So I usually do this stop start format. So you're a trusted advisor to your clients, very well respected. What would you tell them to stop doing and what should they start doing? Well, I've got a few answers because I know you do your start stop thing, Cheryl. So <laughs> I think when it comes I like to throw people look next, I'll have to change it maybe next time. Yeah, I'll no. Reverse it. Um, start I mean, what and stop what business. So much of this screen to screen interaction and screen to screen selling, as I like to say, um, I think you've got to um, start to understand that um, screen to screen selling really shouldn't be about PowerPoints. The second a PowerPoint goes up, everyone's doing this because why wouldn't right. you, okay? People are human. So treat, power, uh, treat screen to screen time as dialogue time, not presenting time. And I think you'll be better off for it. The other thing I wanted to say, I have two other things about start and stop, Cheryl, if you'll indulge. Go ahead. Um, they both have to do with exercise. The first thing to do is if you haven't registered to vote and you haven't voted, start to do that, okay? Great <laughs> advice. To vote. And also with voting, what to stop. If you've never voted, stop doing that. In other words, start <laughs> voting, okay? Uh, <laughs> I think you made that point very All well. Right. Thank you. 
point taken. And then the other thing I read is that um, with all these pandemic uh, activities, I read that half the country is working out and half the country is sitting around. So I'd say if you're sitting around, go ahead and get out there and exercise because you know you can always have a good day if you don't exercise. But my experience is you have a you have a much better day if you do. So get out there and move. Love it. Love it. Peter Naylor, great words of wisdom. Such a pleasure to have you on the show today. You're awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. You're awesome. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks. All right. See you, Peter. Bye-bye. Well, that was a great conversation. The Peter Peter Naylor. Uh, Tomorrow's IEB there. We'll look at the future of addressable targeting with our special guest, Megan Clarkin, CEO of Critio. So please tune in for that. IEB There is a production of Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Fofika Mohinenden. I'm Cheryl Goldstein. Thanks for watching. Please come back tomorrow because if it's two o'clock on a weekday, you know it's time to IEB There. Have a great day. <laughs>